Welcome to Sales Cultures Redefined, where we transform people with purpose, income, and a better life. Here's your host, CEO of Sales Managed Solutions, Lance Cooper. Well, Ryan, uh, welcome to our podcast. Uh, Looking forward to hearing what you have to say about leading a sales team. For everybody that's listening, I want to just stop for a moment and introduce you and and do that on a personal basis as well and and I know that you um you've been you're married and you have a son named Ryan that's 2 years old coming up in October that's that's kind of cool and the reason is because my youngest son is Ryan as well so w- at least we have that in common <laughs> yeah uh and so you're a dad a husband a sales leader and what I'd like to do first is start in your background, because as you know, there's something a, a little different about the background that led you to sales and right. especially 14 years as a musician and then working at the Indiana State Library as the communications director. So where would you like to start back there and help so, everybody that's listening understand um, your route there and then how you ended up where you are now? Yeah, I would say, let's go back to 2001. Actually, you know, it's September 13th today. So September 11th, 2001, I was sitting in my senior ethics class in the communications department at Ball State. And when I walked into the room and they had CNN on the big screens showing what was happening, and you got to understand this course we had watched all these different videos of different scenarios in media. So when I first walked in, I thought it was something that like it was an exercise. Right. Yeah. And then in the next two minutes, I realized that I was watching live television. Um, And, you know, I think that changed the course for a lot of people at that moment. So I graduated in May of 2002. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of, I don't know. It, it seemed like a lot of people weren't hiring mm. as much as they were before that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I decided to go into music. Um, I originally started off as a music major, and I had an opportunity to go back to the school that I actually took guitar lessons at. And I I went there thinking it was going to be something temporary until I got back into communications, right? Uh Well, it ended up being a 14-year deal where not only was I teaching music, private lessons and group lessons, but I also was touring around the country in a rock band. (laughs) So a little bit different background than most salespeople or most people at all, I guess. Um, Around 2012, um, I decided that I... I was getting serious about transitioning out of the music industry. Um, it's just a difficult way to make a living <laughs> as, as you probably heard, but um, <laughs> I, I went back to school and got a master's degree in public relations at Indiana university. And while I was doing that, I took an internship with the department of education and I was working in the state house that led to a short stint with the Indiana State Senate as a um, press secretary. And while I was there, the opportunity came up as the communications director for the state library. So ah. I moved from 
those three things very quickly. I mean, I knew what I wanted. I wanted to get in that director role. And I, I guess I did it at lightning speed. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was there for a couple of years and it was a little different from what I imagined it would be. So when I was doing PR in a music setting, I would meet people in person. I'd talk to them on the phone. You know, there's a lot of interaction. Whereas working for the state, one, as you know, things work at a snail's pace when you're working for the state. Uh, I actually had a a manager tell me at one time that he was running out of things for me to do and that I need to (laughs) slow down. I'm not kidding. Uh, So that kind of gave me an idea, like maybe I'm in the wrong place, you know? Um, So a buddy of mine was working for Renewal by Anderson. He was really enjoying it. Um, I knew my stepfather's an architectural engineer. I knew that Anderson windows were the best. Um, So I thought, Hey, now let me, let me give it a shot because he was making good money. And Mm -hmm. I had avoided sales my entire life because both (laughs) my parents were salesmen. Okay. Okay. And I have seen the good and bad, right? You can be in companies where it's not a good situation. And I will say this, um, working for Renewal by Anderson is probably the best sales position that you could be in. It really is. I'm not just saying that because I've worked for them for over five years. It, It truly is one of the best situations you could be in because I've seen both sides of it. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. So there's my intro. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Ryan, so after five years with Renewal by Anderson, in a, in a moment, I want you to talk about those front end years. Sure. But before that, in your background, I, you're a leader now. And, and not only a leader, you're somebody who's got a market, Northern Indiana, that is leading in key performance indicators. Right in the sales culture of Renewal by Anderson. So I want to ask, when you go back into your life, are there areas where you gravitated toward leadership? Uh, it doesn't matter what what that was, but did you have moments where you just found yourself in a leadership role? Sure. So I've been playing in bands since I was 14 years old, and I've always been in charge, you know? Oh, okay. So, um, you know, bringing three or four guys together to make something happen musically, it takes a lot of organization. And a lot of people don't understand that that aren't in music. Mm -hmm. I think that especially people that are in pop or rock music get a bad rep because they think, well, these people just, you know, they party and then they show up to the show and they play. And (laughs) it really isn't that. Most of the guys that are pros, a lot of them aren't into that, first of all. Mm -hmm. Or they did it when they were way younger and then they don't do that anymore. But it's to run a ship like that. I mean, you got to have things organized. Right. And so, you know, I do anything from writing the songs and rehearsing five days a week and playing out four or five days a week to calling venues, calling club owners, calling retailers to sell our records at their store. You know, I mean, I did a lot of quote unquote sales, but it was mostly business to business because I was trying to get our uh, record into different distributors across the country. Mm -hmm. So a little different than what I do now, obviously, but it's the same in the fact that you still have to 
speak to someone mm-hmm. and you still have to convince them to sell your product or in my case, or to purchase your product in this mm-hmm. case here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it ties in and I'm glad that renewal gave me the opportunity because I was having a hard time uh, communicating that to business owners. And I'd say that, you know, I do have a background in this, this, and this, and they would say, well, I don't get it because you played music, you know, <laughs> that's part of the reason why I went back to get the master's degrees because I felt like, well, maybe that'll, look better on paper, I guess, you know, sure. To tell you the truth, going back and doing that degree, I was doing that stuff already, you know? Yeah. It just kind of, for me, it was, I almost felt, you know, I felt like I was validated for what I was doing. Really? Yes. Yes. Well, you were not only uh, having to get gigs for the band, you were also, you also had the members who were professionals and they expected to be scheduled out. They had their own lives. Right. And so there's production going on. You've got to have enough production. People get paid. Correct. Um, and then you have to get the money <laughs> yeah. and distribute the money. And then there's probably practices and arrangements of uh, uh, the songs and what you're going to be playing. And, um, yeah, there's a lot going on there. It has to do with directing for sure and leadership because you've got different personalities on that band, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> along with other extracurricular activities. <laughs> All right. So now let's move into Renewal by Anderson. And here you've taken this job. And tell me about the first few years and then how you transitioned into leadership. So I will say the first year was challenging for me um, just because there was a lot of product knowledge that I didn't have. Uh, you know, before coming to this job, I didn't know a whole lot about windows and most people don't, you know, unless you're a contractor or something like that. Um, so, you know, that it took time to build up to being able to go into someone's house and feel hundred percent confident about what I was doing. Um, and I will say that back then the management was different. And the training was a little bit different than it is now. We've definitely improved on that over the years, uh, which has been a big help because now I got guys coming right out of the training program that are very successful. And and I didn't do bad my first couple months, but I wish I could have done as well as these guys are doing, you know? (laughs) Uh, Some of that I think is training. Some of that is just me getting used to, you know, sitting down at somebody's house and and knowing all the aspects of the sales process and feeling comfortable with it and then asking for the sale. You know, that's a big thing that I think a lot of new guys have trouble with. Uh-huh. And and you get down to the numbers and then they just kind of fall apart at the end, you know. Sure. Um, I had to get it drilled in my head that we're in a we really are in a one close business, which I know is different from a lot of the guys that you train where they're on a 90 day cycle or whatever. But mm-hmm. in this business, it really is the truth. If, if they don't buy the first time you're out there, they're probably not calling you back. And, you know, we've got the data to back that up too. Mm. And what's interesting as well is Anderson big corporation wise, they survey a lot of customers post appointment and they'll survey them up to a year after. And what's interesting that we find is a lot of people say, well, 
I couldn't afford to do business with you, but I still haven't replaced my windows. Oh, man. But we made such a good impression on them that they don't want anything else, right? <laughs> so I guess that's good. Is There's good and bad in that. We get a lot of positive feedback from customers, but sometimes we're just not right for them, you know? Sure. So... I don't know. I've kind of gotten off your original question. So well, pull no, me you, back in. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you gave, you gave a lot of good information about what reps face, what you faced yeah, and how important the onboarding is and how it's gotten better and how you right. wish you'd had that onboarding <laughs> so you could have earned money yeah. quicker, you know? Right. So uh, that's cool. We may even, we may come back to that. You know, these, these KPIs that, that you mentioned to me that mm-hmm. you're leading in right now. Okay. So a, how did you do in them? Then how did you transfer into leadership? Well, how did that happen? Okay. So, well, let me start with the transfer of leadership and then I'll talk about the number. Okay. okay. The original setup was we had a manager that was working out of our corporate office in Carmel that was kind of overseeing this territory, but not doing the greatest job at it. And when Lance took over as the vice president of sales, he made some changes along with the ownership at that time. So we ended up bringing on Zach Weber, who is now our director of um, training. And so he was the manager up here for about a year. And then we had a short period where the manager from Cincinnati came in for a few months just to hold the spot until they figured something else out. They didn't know at the time that I would even be interested in that position. But then I voiced my interest. And really, I figured out that it probably was the better role for me in the first place. I like selling, don't get me wrong, but you know, there's a lot of pressures in that position that are different from the pressures of being a manager. And I feel like I'm a little more tuned in to handle those things as opposed to the uh, sales part of things. This job and any sales job can be kind of an emotional roller coaster at times. And as you've said in your training, like you got to stay positive all the time or you can mentally defeat yourself before you walk into the guy's house. Right. Yeah. Um, So I didn't like the up and down part of it. And I feel like I'm better at teaching people and training people and overseeing things. And now that I've been doing this for over a year, I, I really do believe I'm in the right position for the company. And I think that, you know, my superiors would tell you the same as a sales guy. I did well. I wasn't, the top, top guys, but I was always in the top 25 of the company, which at the time we had, you know, probably about 80 or 90 reps. Okay. So I did well. Yeah. So a transition to this, this market historically had not had a lot of attention and love as far as there was an opportunity here that at first we didn't see. And now in the last three or four years, we have been paying attention to it and tapping into that opportunity. So we are in Northern Indiana, which if you're looking at a map, if you know where Notre Dame University is, right at the very top of the state, that's where my office is here in South Bend, Indiana. Okay. And basically we've got state line, 
to Illinois, state line to Michigan, and then we go a little bit into Ohio, and then we go as far south as Wabash, Indiana. So there was a previous owner that had the rights to sell Renewal by Anderson in the state of Indiana. For some reason, he lost the ability to do that. And then my current over, Steve Davidson, took over this territory. Well, before Steve took over, if they did million, million and a half up in this territory, they thought they had a good year. And they wouldn't send a sales rep up here unless they had at least two appointments for the, on the day for them. Because that previous owner was running everything out of Indianapolis. So it is a drive up here. I mean, it's two and a half hours to get anywhere up here. When Steve took over, he started hiring reps in this area so that we would have people to cover it. When I came on as a sales rep, there was only four other sales reps up here. So we had five guys covering this huge territory. Yeah. Well, we got the right people involved. And we started selling a lot, you know? <laughs> so that first year we did over 6 million. I what? Think. Yeah. So then they thought, okay, there's a lot of potential up here. And then we started doing more marketing. We started hiring more sales guys. And then the next year um, there was a national meeting of all the upper managers and the president of Renewal by Anderson up in Minnesota came up to our owner and Lance, the VP up here. And the first thing he says to him is, what's going on in South Bend, Indiana? <laughs> and they're like, what? You know, so, um, you know, that was fantastic to hear that from the, the guys that are running this company from the highest level. Right. So then I came on last year at the beginning of the year. One thing that I really improved upon is closing percentages and finance utilization. Now, I'll speak to finance utilization because I was good at getting people to finance. Mm. Um, when I brought my thoughts and ideas, and it's not anything that wasn't already taught to these guys. It was just I really reinforced it, right? Sure. I came in, I said, listen, our finance utilization is not where it should be. I want to see it above X, right? My goal, my real goal was to get it up to 70%. Okay. Which if you look at the other big time RBA affiliates out there, like Denver, Long Island, Los Angeles, the big, big guys. Yes. They're, they're utilizing over 70% financing. And it might be a cultural thing because they're, you know, you look on the coasts, it seems like more people finance in those areas as opposed to, you know, we're in the Bible belt here in the Midwest. And <laughs> a lot of people have the idea of if they can't afford it, they, they're probably not going to finance it, right? There are a lot of people that have that mindset and that's okay. Um, you know, we've got a 0% plan for those people too that think that they don't want to finance, right? Yeah. But, um, hey, Ryan, what, what was your utilization rate um, when you started focusing on it? Pre previous to me taking over, it was below 50%, I think. It do, was not, do, not great. Do the reps make more money if the utilization rate is higher? Not necessarily, but what we see is, well, yes and no. 
So what we see overall is if if someone takes a plan that is a interest rate, fixed interest rate plan, and it's over so many time, they tend to not cancel. Yeah. And they tend to have bigger project sizes. So to answer your question, yes, if a rep is utilizing financing, their average job size is probably higher. So they're going to make a bigger commission if their average job size is bigger. And probably their closing rate might go up some some percentage points, too. I think so. I think that's true as well, because you if you don't communicate a solution for the customer, then you don't know why they didn't purchase. Right. Right. You walk away going, well, I thought that was going to be a deal. Why wasn't that a deal? Well, it could have been you didn't explain financing properly to them. Yeah. So as soon as I came in, first sales meeting, I was like, listen, this is one of my goals. This is what we're going to do. And I explained how I did it in the home. And gosh, sure enough, that finance rate started going up and up and up. And then um, we actually started giving a, an incentive for the managers if we could get the finance up. So then I really started pounding it. Like, <laughs> hey, if I'm going to get some extra money from this, then... I'm definitely going to get that finance rate up. And I think years to date, our average is like 61 or 62%. So we had a big turnaround on that, but it was creating the culture of making that a thing. Whereas before people were taking the low hanging fruit. And you know what I mean by that. They go into the appointment Maybe the lead said the person was looking for two or three windows and they sold them that. Right. Yeah. And that's really not what you should do. Our job is to go in and at least inspect all the windows sure. because you never know if they yeah. got a problem with these windows, they probably have a problem with these windows over here too. Yep. yep. So how do you give the customer an opportunity to purchase? Well, you have to show them financing, you know, you show them that they have a problem What's the solution to the problem? Well, I've got the solution. I got the best window in the country, first of all. So there's your problem for the windows. Well, how do I pay for it? Hey, no problem. I got a great low interest rate plan that fits right in your budget. I know that that's not what you expected when I walked in the door, but guys, we got to get something done. So why don't you take advantage of doing it, you know, 100, 200 bucks a month or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Bam, we solved the problem. Right? <laughs> it, and it sounds easy when you and I talk about it, but it really is that easy. You just have to communicate it well to the customer. So how did how did you communicate it to the rep? Because that is a cultural shift. Yeah. And so how then that's one of the problems that you faced when you took over the team. And there probably are some others, maybe even some that you faced internally, but this was an external problem. So how did you handle that? Yeah. So the reps that were having difficulty doing that, I just sat them down one-on-one and I said, Hey, look, my job as your manager is to try to help you make more money. There we go. Because if you're making money, I'm making money. I just was straight with them. Yeah. How can I help you make more money so that we can all make more money? And they get that, you know, the senior rep, especially, they're like, hey, I want to do what I can to help you out, too, because it's a symbiotic relationship, right? So what I did was I showed them. I said, look, here's an example of a senior rep 
who utilizes financing really well, look at their average job size. I said, look at your finance rate and look at your average job size. <laughs> Do you see a correlation? Here? <laughs> right. And so all of them were like, hey, I get it. Now, whether or not some of them pushed it more than they had before, some of them I still haven't gotten them to where I want them to be. That's going to take some time. But a lot of them bought into it right away, seeing way better results. They're making more money. Like, how do you motivate a sales rep? Usually by money or a sales trip or some kind of bonus or something like that, right? Or they want to be number one. That's right. right. That's right. Yep. And that's the guys you want on your team anyways, right? That's for sure. You want people that are always trying to get better, whether they're motivated by money or they're motivated by competition. And I'm okay with either one because both of them are going to get the result that we want. Ultimately, we want to sell more windows. Well, if the guy wants to be number one, to get to number one, he's got to sell more than the other guys. So the money's going to come. Or if his motivation is I want to be number one because I want to make more money, well, they both work in our favor, right? They do. They so do. as sales leaders, I guess we just have to create a path on how can we help them make more money? Because ultimately that's going to get them to their end goal. Sure. Right? Sure. Sure. So when you took over that team, here, here was the problem. You had uh, that low rate uh, at using uh, the interest uh, financing. Right. Were, were there any other, how many reps do you have right now? Um, as of today, I have 25 reps. Golly, Brian, yeah. that, <laughs> that's a long yeah. ways from where, where the whole thing started, right? Yes, yeah. that's a huge jump. So in uh, five huge. years, we've gone from five guys to 25 guys, and I've yes. got two in the pipeline right now. Yes, yes. So what is the main kind of problem you face with 20 reps out there trying to have closing rates at a certain level using the financing and there's probably other things you know what are the issues you face the the big ones of even getting it to 20 i mean that was that was a big deal too so i will say just to do a plug for you (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that really helped us find the right people was using the cts right because before that we really were going on our gut You know, a guy would walk into my office, I'd conduct an interview, and I had some decent questions, but it it really didn't get to the crux of who is the right person for the job. Mm -hmm. So I will say that what you taught me was we're not just hiring somebody because we think he can do the job or we think we like this guy. Mm -hmm. We're hiring people based off of their character and also their results from their previous employment. Mm. But I think the character piece is really the, the cornerstone. Really? Right? Okay. Because if you don't have that, you're going to make a bad hire. And then a bad hire costs you time and money. Mm. My yeah, <laughs> famous sure. teacher in high school, and she was from Cuba, and she always cracked me up because she's real high strung. She always used to go... <laughs> First of all, she tells us to shut up in Spanish when she walked in the room. <laughs> I don't think you could do that now. No. But this was back in the early 90s. And yeah. We didn't have such restrictions back then. Yeah. But 
she yeah. would tell us, you know, shut up, sit down. I have no, she say time is money. I have no money, so I have no time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you could take that word, those words, and you can apply it to this. Like if you're, if you're wasting money and time on a bad hire, it's just not a good road to go down. Right. Yeah, sure. So yeah. I think CTS enabled us to really ask some tough questions to these guys that they didn't expect to hear in an interview. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, I've never heard questions like that in an interview. And I've interviewed with some pretty high profile places. Okay. So to, to go through that program and realize that those questions are really going to dig into who is this person. Yeah. Now, sometimes it may not get to everything, you know, and that's just, that's part of the trust factor of you got to make a decision based off what you know. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, You can only ask so many questions and you, you have to trust that they're answering them truthfully, you know, Mm. Um, you know, part of that is you can, you can call their previous employers and find out some information, but beyond that, in the end, you are taking a little bit of a leap of faith, but I believe that your program gives people a strong basis to base that higher off of. And that's what we didn't have before. So I will say since we've had that, our retention rate has gone up. We have hired some really good people. Now there have been a couple people where it ended up not being the right job for them and they ended up leaving on their own. But as far as people just flat out shouldn't be here, we haven't ran into that since using the program. Good. Well, Ryan, let's jump, let's jump back to leadership because 20 reps provide 20 different personalities and genetic makeup and every day is full of issues for you. Is there something you struggle with that you've had to work hard at learning that, you know, just been a part of the puzzle for yourself? Um, I guess the thing that I struggle with is, is I, I never realized being on this end of it, some of the complaining you get from reps, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I guess the way that I can relate to these guys is I wasn't just hired in as a manager. I've done their job. Mm. So I can relate to them on a personal level. And some of the stuff is just flat out. They're grumbling about things that are just, they got to get over and move on to the next thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of it can be some legitimate concerns. Mm -hmm. And so when there are legitimate concerns, I tell them, Hey, I'm going to investigate that and I'm going to try to make it right. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, that's part of my role, but when it's grumbling and it's things that salespeople complain about, I got to get them back in the mindset of, Hey, listen, I, I get that, but those are things that everybody's dealing with, you know? So, mm-hmm. I, well, I'll give you an example. Somebody gets a common objection, you know, sure. and I, what I'll do is I'll, if somebody's having trouble, I'll bring them in one-on-one and just try to get to the crux of what's going on. Right. So mm-hmm. if they got a common objection that they're hearing, I, I take them back through the process, the sales process. And I say, well, 
all right, if you're hearing this, why do you think that's happening? You know, and I let them kind of take themselves through that path. Mm. And then we get back to it and we're like, oh, okay, well, if we would have done this a little differently up front, we might have been able to combat that objection when we got to it at the end. Because I I believe that you know, there's some things that you just can't overcome. Someone, the customers made up their mind and they're just not buying, right? Mm. And that falls into a category of about maybe 20 or 30%. But then you got to work with that 70% where you've got a shot, right? So what I try to focus on, control the things you can control. It's your appointment. And if you go through the process correctly, the end result should be a sale. And everybody's natural reaction at first might be that they say no, but you got to figure out, well, why are they saying no? Is it because this question wasn't answered was this not explained properly and most of the time you find out that that's what went wrong but it's easier for me like so we go on ride-alongs with reps all the time i try to get with a rep about once a month whether they're number one or they're number 25 i don't care right because if they're number one i can see what they're doing right and i can communicate to the other reps if they're Mm -hmm. not Number one, I can see what's going wrong and we can correct it mm-hmm. because most of the stuff can be corrected. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm on ride alongs, it's easy for me to sit back and observe and see it outside of being the rep. You see things and you see little nuances that when you're actually in the meeting and you're the one conducting the meeting, it's difficult to see. Mm-hmm. And maybe you've gotten into some bad habits. Yes. And you don't realize that you're doing. Yeah. That's typically what the issue is. Mm-hmm. So um, there's one part of being the manager correcting those types of things. The other part is guiding them through the emotional aspect of this business. Yeah, right? Tell me more about that. Right. So um, there are some people on my team that naturally have this ability to be optimistic. <laughs> Right. (laughs) Yeah. And you can see that in their profile. Then there's people that they struggle with that more. I, for one, am probably more, I'm kind of in the middle where there's some things that I struggle with and there's some things that I just go, Hey, I can't control that. So I'm moving on to the next thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do have a couple guys on my staff where, I think that optimism and the analytical side of them fight each other, right? Mm-hmm. And then they get into this headspace where they they get too analytical about something and then it just spirals into something that it shouldn't have been, right? Oh, yeah. So you have to combat that with more optimism, I think, and just assure them, hey, Look at the numbers year to date. You know that you're going to close at least X amount of these appointments. And I know this is kind of a crude analogy, but one of my reps that does really well is he says, you know, sales is like going to the bathroom. Sometimes you just got to flush the toilet and move on to the next one. You know? 
And I think some of these reps, they want to hold on to that last appointment, right? And for me, when I started getting good at this job is when I said, hey, there's certain things I can't control. Mm. I'm just going to forget about that. And I'm going to do everything I can to get this appointment that I'm sitting in front of right now. Yes. So there were two things that flipped for me. One was realizing that I can't control what happened in the previous appointment, right? I can control what's happening right now with this current appointment. And I also know that if I don't sell it, they're not calling me back. Mm -hmm. So I need to communicate why this is the best solution for their problem. And when I did that, when I really took the approach of serving people as opposed to trying to sell them, that was a game changer for me personally. That's huge, isn't it? That's a huge switch. Uh, It is a huge center of focus switch. Now tell me about that switch just a little bit. Yeah. So I think part of it was just my own background and my personal beliefs, you know, my relationship with God, because I wanted to follow what the Bible was telling me. And I think that led me to have more of a service attitude. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And also, besides that, looking at, well, what are the best businesses out there doing? There you go. And when I started reading stuff like Good to Great and, mm-hmm. and books like that, it changed my focus as well because I thought, oh, well, if these businesses are building businesses to last long term, sure. they have to have a certain service aspect to their business. Yes. So like, I'll give you an example out of that book. So if you're looking at a a company like Disney or JW Marriott, they're super focused on the experience for the customer, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And in a sales aspect, you have to do that. You know, you, you have to go in there, in my business at least, and you have to say, hey guys, I'm here to solve a problem for you. Whether or not you purchase from me or not, at least by the end of this appointment, you will know what you need to do with your project and you'll at least be better educated about what else is out there. And you're going to have an exact quote in writing at the end of this meeting. You know, So when I started doing that, and I would tell people up front when I walked in their house, I'd set the agenda, but I'd also add, this is what I'm going to do for you. If you purchase from me, great. If you don't, that's okay. Just let me know at the end of the appointment why it didn't work out. Because no, I'll, take a, I'll take a no as graciously as I'll take a yes. Yep. Once I started doing that, game changer. Game changer. Because I, I went from trying to sell and having commission breath and coming <laughs> in there thinking I had to get this sale to, hey, if I get it, that's the icing on the cake, right? Yes. But my, really my job is to serve this customer. So yeah. when I became a leader in the company, I also started communicating that to the other reps. Oh, And yeah. I think that is part of the reason why we're having more success up here is it's, a, it's an attitude change. So there were reps that are already doing that, right? And I learned a lot from those guys. Uh-huh. But the reps that weren't doing that, once I got them on board with that, 
wow, they're seeing the results too now, right? Mm-hmm. It probably changes who you bring on board too, because not everybody wants to take that. Uh, That's right. That attitude. And, and I love what you said a moment ago about commission breath. <laughs> yeah. You know, I really have always thought people can smell that. <laughs> you know, yeah. They, no, they don't feel good around it. And, and then when you take this service approach, I don't know, people just, uh, that's what they want anyway. That's why they have you there. It's about them. It's about their needs and problems. So that's a different culture to put together as a leader than the other one, you're right? The one that is all about the money. And not that we don't want the money, we do. We just want to do it through a service to focus. And so that's a different kind of culture you're talking to to us about yes. right now. And I think business as a whole in, in the United States has changed to that mindset for the most part. I mean, look at the way people sell cars now. Totally different than it was back in the 70s, right? <laughs> I mean, I... I've got a buddy of mine that sells advertisements to car dealerships and he's heard stories back in the day that they take a customer's car keys and throw them up on the roof until they purchase a car from them. You know, it was a real hard sell. Hmm. Now you go into a car dealership and they're just like, Hey, this is what it is. You know, it's totally different. It is. It is. I just got a couple couple more questions, Ryan. I, I don't, I don't, uh, you, you got 20 people to get out and touch today. So I want you to crow just a little bit. And I want you to tell me what kind of numbers your team runs, maybe how well some of your people are doing, because you've, you've identified a culture that's gone from two or three or four or five people to 20 people. And and now you're just understanding the opportunity is so much bigger than, than right. you realize. So what's going on with the actual performance of your group? So prior to me taking over, our closing percentage year to date for the previous year was probably around 29, 30%. And now it's gone up to about 33, 34%, which, you know, that's only four or 5%, but that's a huge, that's a huge jump, right? Mm-hmm. And to give it to you in volume wise, that's, millions of dollars jump, right? Wow, yes. So, um, you know, last year, this market, we ended up finishing at around 25 million. And we're projecting this year to be somewhere between 30 and 32. Wow. So that's exponential growth, right? Most companies, I think, if they're growing you know, 10%, that's a really good year, right? (laughs) Sure. Um, This this territory is a little bit of an anomaly because it's had such high growth patterns. And year over year, it has grown 50% every year, which that's astronomical. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So... I guess I'm in the right place at the right time. But also, I, I will say that I, I'm trying to utilize effective tactics and strategies that will result in good KPI, right? I'm not just a talking head. I am actually using strategies that are working. So managing 25 reps, I do have 
an assistant up here. You know, I have a sales trainer where he focuses more on specifically like workshops, right? So he goes on on ride-alongs with reps, figures out where they're struggling, and then we bring them in for workshops in a group setting. And so we might pick a topic like how to do the Windows demo, you know, and then we'll spend an hour just talking about that, right? Yes. So what I do on my end as far as doing the one-on-ones and going on ride-alongs and trying to figure out where they're struggling and what they're doing well at. So I want to I want to fix what they're struggling on and I want to emphasize what they're doing well. Right. And I try to keep everything positive. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that I'm going to bring a rep in and tell them like, Hey, you got to get it together. Right. I do. If I have to, I don't like to be negative. I like to start out with what they're doing right mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. and then talk about what needs to be corrected. And then ultimately, when I first started, there were some people on the staff that I had to get rid of. They weren't the right people. And that was tough for me because I I really never had to fire people before. Oh, yeah. But ultimately, what I thought was, if they're not in the right job, I'm hurting them too. You are. Right? Absolutely. If this isn't a comfortable situation for them and they're not being successful, then I'm just holding them back from doing what they should be doing. Yes. So once I realized that it was a little easier and there's a guy that I let go last year that ended up joining our installation team. And I went out to an install and he was there and he was like, we were like best friends, you know, it was, there was no hard feelings at all. He was like, Hey, I totally understand why it didn't work out. Um, And actually I'm having fun doing this. Yeah. So, Hey, it worked out. You know, it was the right decision. Yes. Um, you know, Ryan, what I've heard is that you go on rides with reps. You help with uh, emotional situations that people just get upset about whatever. They have low optimism, whatever. You, you get to know them right. differently. They, they're motivated differently. You realize that as well. And um, the territory itself has grown tremendously. I, I would suspect because the onboarding is better, people making money faster, and the top may be making more than they were making before, and the whole bell-shaped curve of the group has grown, which means millions, millions of dollars. Your turnover is down. And the other thing I heard was process. I heard you say process over and over again, how you and your trainer will deal with a particular process area and train on that. Um, which is very helpful to the reps because they have this, this pattern. And I'm sure, I'm sure also you have some reps who aren't as pattern focused and they want to do things their way. Right. So (laughs) I'm very process driven as far as my job goes. Right. Okay. Okay. My personal life, maybe not so much, but when I go to work, I'm there to work. I'm not there to goof around. Right. So I knew coming in as a new rep when I started, five plus years ago, I didn't know anything about what Anderson does. So I'm going to follow what they tell me to do. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's an advantage to people that don't have that experience. Sure. And there's an advantage and disadvantage to people that are experienced because like you said, if they've been successful somewhere else doing something different, they tend to want to bring those habits into this environment. Mm -hmm. So whenever I hire someone that's got a lot of experience, I just tell them straight up in the, in the final interview, I say, listen, we have a process. We know it works. 
Now, you want to add nuances to it, you know, that, that complement it, that's one thing. But if you're going to go rogue and you're going to try to go into somebody's house and just do your own thing, it's not going to work out. <laughs> I promise you it won't. Because we've seen that in the past. We've seen guys that are hot shots that they may throw down millions of dollars at another company. They come here and they, this is a, this purchase is not only emotional, but it's also a logical purchase too. So if you're in front of somebody that purchases based off of their logic and not their emotion, you're not going to win if you're a, emotion-driven sales guy. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of these guys that have been successful over places is because they have been in a situation where it was a purchase that was more emotionally driven. Mm -hmm. So it was easier to get the person to purchase, mm -hmm. right? And they could do that based off of their personality, sure. which that's great. It doesn't work in this scenario. <laughs> so in this scenario, not only do you have to have a great personality and, and have that piece of it, but you also have to take them through a logical process mm -hmm. so that they know, Hey, there's a reason why I have to spend this much money on my house. Sure. This makes sense. So sure. that's where the process driven part comes in. Got it. And when the guys that are successful start falling off a little bit, it's usually because something's missing the process. It could yeah. be something as simple as yeah. they didn't get this commitment at this point in the process. Right. And that's probably the most um, common thing that I see with a senior rep is I'll go on a ride along with them. I'll sit, I won't say anything during the appointment. Maybe we don't get the sale. We walk out of there and I go, Hey, did you realize that you didn't get any commitments today? <laughs> <laughs> and they go, I didn't even realize I was doing that. Right? Yeah, and they honestly don't. It's not that they're trying to, you know, pull one over on me. It's they just get into a habit of, of a bad habit and they forget. And you got to go, hey, let's, why don't I bring you in Tuesday and we'll talk about what happened today. And that's where I go. I'll go step by step what happened in that appointment. What happened that was good? What happened that needs to be corrected? And then sure enough, I tell you what, later that day when they run a night appointment, they sell it. That's great. It's almost every time. That's great. We're in that part of the year that's football. And, and after a play is run, uh, a coach can sit down and, and it's a process. Everybody's got their job. If you do this and you do that and you get, yep. then, then it advances. Right. And so you can sit down and look, look over all that. And that's what you're doing. And I think that's something a lot of sales leaders really don't don't know to do. They they really don't know what their process is. They've never thought about process, and so yeah. uh, I think that's so important what you've shared with everybody. Let, here here's my last question. You let's say you've got a new sales leader in front of you, okay, and they're getting ready to start. And what what would be the advice that you would give a new person coming on board and taking over a team? What, other than what you said, is there anything else you'd share with them? So I did this when I first became the director of communications at the state library. And I did the same thing when I came here. The first thing I did was I sat down with each individual rep and I kind of took a analysis of who they are, what are their feelings about their job and what are their goals? And then how can I help achieve those goals? 
And I think that's really important. And it, and part of that I got from the book, It's Your Ship, right? I'm sure you probably read that. I have, yeah. And then part of that I got from, you've got that questionnaire that you ask people when they first get hired about their goals and all yes. that. Yes. So I kind of meld those two things together. And what I found is when you take the initiative to talk to your rep as opposed to them coming to you, it's a lot more impactful mm-hmm. because they feel like you care, which I do care. Right. And then it makes them feel like there is a line of communication between the two of you. And I think what happens with sales reps that end up not performing well, or they end up quitting because they got discouraged or whatever is because I think they feel like they couldn't come to you. Right. And that's where you get into the headspace of the unknown. Mm-hmm. When we start worrying about the unknown, then we start making assumptions. If I'm sitting here as a sales rep and I'm thinking, well, Ryan isn't hearing me out. You know, he doesn't understand what I'm going through. He didn't know what happened at this appointment. He doesn't get that I'm struggling with this or that. Then they start going down that negative path, right? Sure. Yeah. So what I wanted to avoid (laughs) and just hit it right off the bat is, hey, this is what you can expect from me. And this is what I expect from you. And if we work together, we're going to be successful. And I think that's the key to good leadership is starting there and then following up. And those guys know, like, so when I was a rep, like I said, we didn't have the leadership that we had after I was here for a while, right? Once Lance took over, he changed all that stuff and and did some really good things for the company. Prior to that, in three years, I think I had two ride-alongs with my manager. (laughs) Never had a one-on-one, really. Wow. And never had a workshop. Wow. Ever. Amazing. Um, Me personally, I felt like I was on an island, right? Yes. I think that's why it took me longer to develop because I needed development because I didn't have a strong sales background like some of the other people. It took me trying to read a lot of books and figure stuff out a lot on my own until we got Zach as the new manager up here along with Lance. And then they guided me into a better path as well. So I took a lot of what I learned just from reading And from past experience, I knew, believe me, being in the music industry, I definitely learned what not to do, (laughs) right? The hard way. Yes. And then I had success at the state library and, you know, they were sad to see me go because I turned that around as well. I mean, I can give you metrics on that too. So when I got the opportunity to do the same thing here, I was excited about it. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to see the results. I'm happy to help people get to where they want to be. And I think that starts with that open line of communication, but also not, not allowing them to use you as the spot where they dump every problem on you either. Right. You have to train them up in a way that they can take initiative. So I'm very much, my management style is I'm going to give you the tools to do it. I'm going to show you how to do it. After I've done that, I expect you to do that. 
And I think people like that because it gives them a sense of empowerment. So that's what I've done. I mean, I, I'm not sitting here saying that I'm the greatest or anything, but what I've done has worked so far. And I think that other leaders out there, if they could learn anything from what I said today, I hope it's helpful, you know, um, because, you know, you listen to a podcast or you read a book or you talk to another manager or, or talk to somebody like yourself who has managed a lot of people too, is you're always going to get one little piece of something that you can use. Right. And I think that if you are going to be a good leader or even just a good salesperson, part of it is you can't think that you already know everything. There's always something to learn. It doesn't matter if you've been doing this two years or 20 years, there's always something to learn. And if you keep an open mind and you are open to change and open to learning new things, then you're going to progressively get better. Well, Ryan, um, it's been really helpful to have you answer these questions because the things that you've shared are concrete. What I mean by that, you can actually do these things. You can ride with reps. You can get to know them before you actually teach them. You can realize that motivations are different. People are different. And um, that process is important. I think all the things you've shared today are going to be very helpful to sales leaders. And I want to thank you for taking your time out to be a servant and a service person uh, for the folks that will listen to this. Um, and very much appreciated, Ryan. Thanks. Hey, thank you. And anytime um, you've helped me out a lot. So anytime you need something, let me know. All right, bud. Thank you. I appreciate Bye-bye. it. Yes, sir. You have just listened to Sales Cultures Redefined. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play, and we'll see you at the next episode.